Hey guys, this is The Humanist Report. My name is Mike Figueredo. Today's episode is sponsored by Gamefly.com. If you follow the link in the description box to Gamefly's website, you can get a free 30-day trial. And anytime you sign up, Gamefly is going to donate $15 to The Humanist Report, and this helps us stay afloat. On today's episode, I will be discussing Bernie Sanders, of course, um, some uh, new poll findings, as well as the Hillary Clinton universal healthcare attack debacle. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but some new information has emerged that I think is very important. Uh, furthermore, I'll be discussing the San Bernardino shooting uh, as well as some other issues, so stay tuned. It's going to be a hopefully great episode. So I am currently pushing my way through finals week, uh, and I don't even know what I'm saying right now. So hopefully this will be a coherent episode. If not, comment down below and tell me, Mike, get it together, and I will probably not read it because I'll fall asleep. Uh, anyways, enjoy the episode. So as you all know, Hillary Clinton recently attacked Bernie Sanders' universal health care plan by making a faulty Republican argument. Here's what her campaign officially said. Bernie Sanders has called for a roughly 9% tax hike on the middle class families in a piece of 2013 legislation just to cover his health care plan. And simple math dictates he'll need to tax workers even more to pay for the rest of his at least 18 to 20 trillion agenda. If you're truly concerned about raising incomes for middle class families, the last Thing you should do is cut their take-home pay right off the bat by raising their taxes. Now I recently did a segment wherein I actually uh, broke down why her argument is factually incorrect. So if you do want to hear more about that, I'll go ahead and put a link in the description box down below. Now, not to beat a dead horse because this attack came several weeks ago, but a video emerged while I was away and wasn't filming, uh, and it really shows the extent of Hillary Clinton's hypocrisy on the issue. So in the following video, you're going to see her reaction to then-Senator Obama uh, and when he was a candidate in 2007, well, he attacked universal health care, and this was Hillary Clinton's response to his attack. Uh, today in the crowd, I was given uh, two mailings that uh, Senator Obama's campaign is sending out, and I have to express my deep disappointment that he is continuing to send false and discredited mailings with information that is not true to the voters of Ohio. He says one thing in speeches, and then he turns around and does this. And we have consistently called him on it. It has been discredited. It is blatantly false, and yet he continues to spend millions of dollars perpetuating falsehoods. That is not the new politics that the speeches are about. It is not hopeful, it is destructive, particularly for a Democrat, to be discrediting universal health care by waging a false campaign against my plan, to be talking about NAFTA in a way that tries to make him appear to have a plan when he does not. This health care mailing, which is very reminiscent of the health insurance industry's attacks, on what we tried to do the last time we went after universal health care is the worst kind of politics. Number one, it is wrong and untrue. And number two, it is exactly the talking points that the health insurance industry and the Republicans use on a daily basis. Senator Obama knows that it is not true that my plan forces people to buy insurance even if they can't afford it. 
My plan has more financial help. My plan has been evaluated by independent experts as actually achieving universal coverage and providing the financial assistance so everyone can have health care. Time and time again, you hear one thing in speeches, and then you see a campaign that has the worst kind of tactics, reminiscent of the same sort of Republican attacks on Democrats. Well, I am here to say that it is not only wrong, but it is undermining core Democratic principles. Since when do Democrats attack one another on universal health care? I thought we were trying to realize Harry Truman's dream. I thought this campaign finally gave us an opportunity to put together a coalition to achieve universal health care. That's what Senator Edwards and I fought for and talked about throughout the campaign. Just because Senator Obama chose not to present a universal health care plan does not give him the right to attack me because I did. This is wrong, and every Democrat should be outraged because this is the kind of attack that not only undermines core Democratic values, but gives aid and comfort to the very special interests and their allies in the Republican Party who are against doing what we want to do for America. So shame on you, Barack Obama. It is time you ran a campaign consistent with your messages in public. That's what I expect from you. Meet me in Ohio. Let's have a debate about your tactics and your behavior in this campaign. Shame on you, Barack Obama, for attacking universal health care. Who would have thunk? that just several years later, Hillary Clinton would be doing the same thing because it helps her. So there are some really, I think, great lines in there that I wanted to point out, even though you just uh, you just heard it. I want to read it again just because I think they're so great. So she says, quote, it is destructive, particularly for a Democrat to be discrediting to be discrediting, excuse me, universal health care by waging a false campaign against my plan. I agree, Hillary Clinton. So the Hillary Clinton from 2007, she'd be so disappointed if she knew what the Hillary Clinton from 2015 would become. Another line here. She said Obama's attack was, quote, exactly the kind of talking points the health insurance industry and the Republicans use on a daily basis. I believe I made this same argument against her attack on Bernie Sanders' universal health care plan. Now, uh, she also says, quote, since when do Democrats attack one another on universal health care? I don't know, Hillary Clinton. I don't agree with either. <laughs> I, I, this is hilarious to me. Okay, a final quote that I really like. Quote, just because Senator Obama chose not to present a health care plan does not give him the right to attack me because I did. Oh, look, the the irony here is overwhelming to me. Like, I, I can't take it. Like, when I saw this video, my head almost exploded. And this is because, look what she did. She chose not to propose a universal health care plan. And look, she's trying to ride off of the coattails of Obama. And I don't fault her for that. I think that that's smart. But what you can really do is you can come up with a plan that supplements Obamacare. So in other words, you can basically take Obamacare and tweak it so that way that Medicare expansion becomes a Medicare for all plan. That's kind of what Bernie Sanders seems to be doing uh, because he doesn't want to attack Obamacare or more specifically the Affordable Care Act, but everyone knows it as Obamacare. But anyways, he doesn't want to attack it because it is successful. Um, so, I mean, look, the fact that Hillary Clinton had the audacity to attack Bernie Sanders on something like this in the first place is ridiculous because everyone knows, as it was uh, brought up on the uh, in the second Democratic debate, she proposed universal health care before. So the fact that she's flipping shows that she doesn't stay true 
to her own principles. And I think that this is just another case where it shows Hillary Clinton is not just hypocritical, but disingenuous as well. Remember when Hillary Clinton said this? And I'm very proud that for the first time, a majority of my donors are women. She's not wrong. That's actually true. A majority of her donors are, in fact, women. So kudos to her. But what does this imply? Why did she specifically bring that up? Well, one, it was to kind of pivot to not answer the question of her Wall Street contribution. She also invoked 9-11. But anyways, the reason why she brought this up is because she wants to imply that she is the better candidate when it comes to women's rights issues because more women support Hillary Clinton than Bernie Sanders. Now, let's examine this a bit further. So when it comes to total individual female campaign contributors, Hillary Clinton has 240,000. Now, make no mistake, that's certainly a great number. That's excellent. I think that if I were Hillary Clinton, I would boast about that too. And the fact that a majority of her donors are women, that's again, something that's great. That's something to really be proud of. But when you juxtapose the number of female campaign donors Bernie Sanders has against Hillary Clinton, well, it becomes clear that he has quite a bit more. So as I, as I mentioned, Hillary has 240,000. Well, Bernie Sanders has 301,000 female donors. That's over 60,000 more than Hillary Clinton. Damn. So that is another issue that Hillary Clinton doesn't necessarily one-up Bernie Sanders on. Now look, it's still the case that a majority of Bernie Sanders' voters, or excuse me, donors are male, but he still has more female donors. More women are so inspired by his campaign that they actually want to contribute to him. Now, by bringing this up, I'm not trying to imply that Hillary Clinton will be bad on women's rights issues because less female voters are donating to her campaign than Bernie Sanders is. But the point of bringing this up is to prove that Bernie Sanders's base is not just a bunch of he-man woman haters, as one salon writer had actually referred to us as. Just, oh, it's all men. There's no women that support Bernie Sanders. Tons and tons of my viewers are very vocal Bernie Sanders supporters who are women. His policies have mass appeal. It doesn't matter the demographic. People like what Bernie Sanders has to say. They just know more about Hillary Clinton. Now, furthermore, I actually think that even though Ber uh, Hillary Clinton would do well when it comes to women's rights issues, I think Bernie Sanders would do a better job at representing uh, the more common women, such as middle class and uh, lower income women, because Hillary Clinton has endorsed policies that were particularly harmful to women, especially if you look at her endorsement of Bill Clinton's Republican welfare reform, where he basically just gutted welfare. Well, that was really harmful to women, and it was especially harmful to African-American women, especially single mothers. Uh, so I'm worried that Hillary Clinton, because she's an oligarch, she's not going to really be able to represent the average woman, let alone the average American. So this is why I really like that this came out, that Bernie Sanders has more female donors, because this is the one thing that Hillary Clinton kind of had above Bernie Sanders' head. She could just say, look, women support me. It's I have a mandate to represent women. But I mean, that, that's an oversimplification. The fact of the matter is that, yes, it would be phenomenal to get descriptive representation for women in the White House. I mean, having a, a female president, I would be so excited about that but I want the right female to be president. I initially supported Elizabeth Warren prior to Bernie Sanders because I didn't even know he was going to run. I thought Elizabeth Warren would surely run. So, I mean, I was 
hurrahing over uh, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, so the fact that, you know, a lot of noise is being made on the side of Hillary Clinton's supporters because they think that, well, you know, it's a, it's about men. You know, it's just a he-man, woman-haters club. Bernie Sanders doesn't care about women's issues and whatnot. Well, look, that's not true. And Bernie Sanders supporters absolutely care about women's rights issues. Hence the reason why we supported Elizabeth Warren before Bernie Sanders. And if you don't recall the reason why Bernie Sanders entered the race in the first place, it was because there wasn't a true progressive. So once he learned that Elizabeth Warren would not be running, he decided to step up and fulfill that role so that way we can have a true progressive in this presidential race. So I like this. I don't necessarily have any broader implications to talk about of it. I just think it's a great fact and it proves to you that Bernie Sanders' campaign, it reaches across all demographics. A new poll released from Quinnipiac University shows yet again that Bernie Sanders is our best chance against the Republicans. So when you put Bernie Sanders against Donald Trump, Bernie leads 49 to 41%. That's eight points. Now when you put Bernie Sanders against Marco Rubio, Bernie leads by one point, 44 to 43%. When you put Bernie Sanders against Ted Cruz, he leads 49 to 39%, a 10-point lead. When you put Sanders against Carson, Bernie Sanders wins 47 to 41%. That is a 6-point lead. Now, when you contrast that with Hillary Clinton's numbers, you'll see that when you put Hillary Clinton against Marco Rubio, she wins 45 to 44%. So that's a 1-point lead. That's the same as Bernie Sanders, but in a lot of cases, she doesn't do as well as Bernie Sanders against the Republicans. So case in point, Clinton versus Trump. She wins 47 to 41%. That's a six-point lead. Bernie Sanders has an eight-point lead over Trump. Uh, when you put Hillary Clinton against Ted Cruz, she wins 47 to 42. So she has a five-point lead over Ted Cruz. Bernie Sanders has a 10-point lead over him. When you put Hillary Clinton against Ben Carson, she leads 46 to 43%. That's a three-point lead. Now remember that Bernie Sanders leads Carson by six points. So... Bernie Sanders does just as well, if not better, than Hillary Clinton against the Republicans. Now, time and again, as I've said, the polls have shown this. So this is better than the last poll, actually. So the last poll that I talked about, it showed that Bernie Sanders actually outperformed Clinton on hypothetical matchups. But the problem was that he was still getting beat by Republicans. Both Hillary and Bernie Sanders were not faring too well against them. Well, thankfully, polls are reflecting rationale. So voters are now voting in favor of Democrats as opposed to Republicans, because even though I disagree with Hillary Clinton on a number of issues, I would far rather support her than any Republican. So both her and Bernie should be destroying Republicans. And finally, polls are reflecting that. So the question now is why Bernie Sanders does better than Hillary Clinton when it comes to hypothetical matchups. Well, the reason is because he actually captures a lot of independent and Republican voters. People don't want to believe this, but there is a substantial portion of Republicans that are voting on uh, voting for Bernie Sanders or want to vote for Bernie Sanders just based on his campaign finance reform platform because he's against crony capitalism, because he's against corruption and money in politics. Well, this excites a lot of Republicans who are also in favor of that. So they're willing to cut across party lines to vote for Bernie Sanders here. Now, another point that should be made is if you control for generation, that is, if you just look at millennial voters, well, they are far more inclined to support Bernie Sanders. So he outperforms Clinton in hypothetical matchups because he excites them, thus making it more likely they'll vote. That's just obvious. Now, the interesting part of this poll is that it shows Hillary Clinton, while still about 
27 points ahead of Bernie Sanders nationally, well, she has a negative favorability rating, and furthermore, Bernie Sanders has the highest honesty rating among all the candidates. So this is really great news. It shows that Bernie Sanders, even though he's not necessarily leading in any polls nationally, people like him. So now the sample size was 1,453 registered voters, that's 672 Republicans, 573 Democrats, Kind of a small uh, sample size for Democrats, but I mean, it's larger than a lot of them that are being released. Some of them have as low as like 250, and I think that's just not enough to have any sort of general applicability or implications nationally. Now, uh, this was conducted by both landlines and cell phones, so this is great, so it doesn't just uh, sway the results towards older voters who are only inclined to use uh, landlines. Now, the margin of error is plus or minus 2.6 percentage points. So this seems like a fairly reliable poll. And so, I look, I like it. It says what Bernie Sanders supporters have been yelling about from the beginning. He's nationally electable because I know a ton of people who support Hillary Clinton, not because they agree with her more, but because they think that she has a better chance of winning in a national election than Bernie Sanders because he's not as charismatic as her. Um, he is not as assertive as her. But that's not true. People like Bernie Sanders, and our political environment is conducive to a candidate who is really unorthodox because we're all tired of establishment candidates. Hence the reason why Donald Trump, hence the reason why Ben Carson and Bernie Sanders are doing so well on both sides. So, uh, great poll. I was really excited to hear about this. Donald Trump gave us some insight into what he would do to degrade and defeat ISIS. Take a look. All right, uh, uh, Donald Trump, let me bring you back to the fight against ISIS. In, in the last few months since we've been talking to you, at the first you said let Assad take care of ISIS, then let Russia take care of ISIS, then you said you want to bomb ISIS. What's the Donald Trump policy between Syria and a Shia-run Iraq? Well, my policy has always been the same. We're fighting ISIS, and Assad is fighting ISIS, and Assad, let's assume, is a bad guy, because he is, but we're backing rebels to fight Assad. Uh, again, ISIS is fighting Assad. You got to pick who you're fighting. I mean, you can't fight everybody. We're going to be fighting everybody. Now you have Turkey involved, and Turkey sort of likes ISIS more than they like others, and nobody really knows because we don't have people that know what they're doing. So, in my opinion, you go along, and Russia does not like ISIS, and people are starting to find out. I mean, in all fairness, they just lost an airplane, got mm -hmm. blew out of the air. So, uh, Russia is not a fan of ISIS. Russia is so, bombing so, the hell out of them, starting right. to bomb them. I say ISIS is our number one threat. We can't be fighting everybody at the same time. ISIS is our number one threat. So that's all you'd worry about. Just go with, find out where they are, take them out. Don't I even worry about a coalition. Of, I would. I like to do one thing at a time. I would knock the hell out of ISIS. Okay. I would hit them. I would hit them, Brian, so hard like they've never. What been about hit civilian before. casualties? What, what about the fact that we're targeting them and people are very concerned about collateral damage? I would do my best, absolute best. I mean, one of the problems that we have, and one of the reasons we're so ineffective, is you know they're trying to. They're using them as shields. It's yes. a horrible thing. They're using them as shields. But we're fighting a very politically correct war. Yeah. Well, we see that the happening other thing is with the terrorists, you have to take out their families. When you get these terrorists, you have to take out their families. They, they care about their lives. Don't kid yourself. Mr. But they Trump say they don't care about their lives. You have to take out their families. Now, he's correct to point out the fact that both us and Assad are currently fighting against ISIS, yet we also don't like Assad, so we're currently arming so-called moderate rebels to fight against Assad as well, even though some of those weapons, as we've learned, have 
gone to ISIS. So simultaneously, we're fighting on both sides of the war, and it's just a huge cluster of chaos. Uh, so it does make sense to focus on one of our enemies, as Donald Trump stated, and that's ISIS. So his assessment of the situation, it's, it's not incorrect. I actually think he's correct in that regard, but it's his strategy that's really problematic. So first, quote, knocking the hell out of them is not a comprehensive strategy, Donald Trump. Now, he'll do this all the time, and he sounds like a six-year-old. How are you going to get Mexico to pay for the wall? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it well. I'm going to do it hard. Okay, so uh, what about this policy? How are you going to deport 11 million undocumented immigrants? I'm just going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to go strong. We have to. We have no choice. Okay, but that, that's, that's not substantive. Like, you have to actually come up with a specific strategy. Like, are you going to start by deporting individuals in uh, on the East Coast, on the West Coast? Are you going to go for uh, the non-citizens and then move to the citizens, the so-called anchor babies, as you say? I mean, look, he doesn't come up with an actual clear strategy for anything. He's all just hot air, no substance. Now, second of all, he contradicted himself in less than 10 seconds by saying that he would take steps to reduce civilian casualties, but... He then says in the same breath that we should kill the family members of ISIS. But Donald, the family members of ISIS are civilians. So he believes in guilt by association. If you're related to ISIS, kill them. So what I want to know is how far down the bloodline do you go? I mean, are we killing just immediate family members such as brothers, sisters, and parents? Are we going to kill cousins? Do we kill aunts and uncles? What about great aunts and uncles? I mean, how far... Down the bloodline do you go? And how do you determine who is a family member of ISIS? That's, that's another issue here. And you don't understand that by proposing this, it's not only wrong, because the family members of ISIS, that doesn't necessarily make them guilty. There was a story in the New York Times where an American Muslim family uh, was discussing how their daughter and sister, while well, she just randomly got indoctrinated by ISIS and she flew to Syria and is now fighting for them. Do we you think we should kill them cuz they're completely distraught. They think that it's terrible what she's done and they would have never expected this to happen. I mean, you want to kill people just because they're related to someone crazy? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, look at the Westboro Baptist Church. You have Fred Phelps who was a completely disgusting individual yet his son was a gay rights atheist activist. So the term the apple doesn't fall far from the tree is not necessarily true. Now you don't understand but that by proposing this, you're actually doing the bidding of ISIS. You're doing what they're doing and what they want you to do. So you know who also likes to kill Muslims, Donald Trump? It's ISIS. They like that a lot. And that's what they're doing. So you're giving them exactly what they want. Also, ISIS can then turn around and use this as a recruiting tool because they can tell their family members, look, look at President Trump. I almost threw up when I said President Trump. <laughs> but they can say, look at President Trump. And do you not realize that he's going to kill the families of ISIS? So even though you're not currently fighting in ISIS and you disagree with us, I think you should pick up an AK anyway because they're going to come and kill you. So you might as well defend yourself, right? You might as well join us anyway because they don't like you. They want to kill you. It just doesn't make sense. He, he just doesn't think before he speaks. And it's ridiculous. And I'm getting sick of it. You'd think that at some point he'd say something so idiotic that it would have disqualified him. But that hasn't happened. So I don't understand. When do we hit rock bottom with Donald Trump? I mean, he keeps getting crazier and crazier and crazier. I mean, at what point do his lunatic supporters say, I disagree with you on that? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. So... I really just wish that Donald Trump would 
think before he speaks, but that's not going to happen because that's not Donald Trump. That's not his demeanor. He's about just saying crazy shit and people love it. The crazier he gets, the more his followers love him and follow him. Joshua Fierstein, the evangelical Christian star who you may know as the guy who was outraged over the Starbucks coffee cups because they weren't Christmassy enough. Yeah, that's the guy. So this guy put out a video over the summer wherein he directly incites violence against Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood has hunted down millions and millions of little innocent babies, stuck a knife into the uterus, cut them, pulled them out, crushed their skull with forceps, ripped their body apart, sold their tissue, and threw them bleeding into a trash bin. I say tonight, we punish Planned Parenthood. I think it's time that abortion doctors should have to run and hide and be afraid for their life. That sounds pretty explicit, right? I mean, he said, quote, I say tonight we punish Planned Parenthood. I think it's time that abortion doctors should have to run and hide and be afraid for their life. Is this something that someone who is allegedly pro-life would be saying? I mean, if you say this, you're not pro-life, you're anti-life. You're saying that you want to punish Planned Parenthood. And look, I'm not directly saying that he's unilaterally responsible for this attack on Planned Parenthood, but this type of rhetoric is extremely, extremely dangerous. Now, he has since deleted the said video in question, but his defense, wait for it, is that the video in question is, quote, a highly edited video that was taken out of context. Oh my god, I mean, do people not know what being taken out of context means? They don't, they don't, they just don't, especially on the right. Nobody knows what that means. Now, the reason why he says he was taken out of context is because in the video, he was discussing Cecil or Cecil the lion and talked about how it's crazy that people were outraged over the death of a lion, but not abortions. And he, quote, simply pointed out the irony that abortion doctors such as those at Planned Parenthood, they don't go to work in fear for their life, and yet they're killing little human beings. Uh, that doesn't change anything. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand it. That, that's your defense. That's really your defense. It, so even when you put it into context, you're still inciting violence. Do you not get how this works? You said, quote, let me read it one more time. I say tonight we punish Planned Parenthood. I think it's time that abortion doctors should have to run and hide and be afraid for their lives. What do you think one of your lunatic followers will get from that. I mean, do you think they're going to be like, oh yeah, we should go and protest? No, you said you want them to be afraid for their lives. It's, this is as clear as day. This is as clear as day. This is a fundamentalist Christian inciting violence on Planned Parenthood. What's his moral barometer? Where is it at? It's nowhere. Only 3% of Planned Parenthood's procedures involves abortions. The majority of abortions, over 90% that is, occur prior to 20 weeks. That's before the central nervous system develops. So what you're doing is you are aborting a ball of cells. It's not a human yet. It can't feel pain. It's as sentient as a plant. It's a cluster of cells. It's not equivalent to the life of a fully grown, functioning adult human being. So to put a fetus that is not even developed, we're talking about pre-gestational fetuses, to put that on the same playing field as a human adult life. You're not pro-life. 
you're not pro-life. How can you call yourself pro-life, but then advocate for the death of Planned Parenthood doctors? I don't get it. And to say that you were taken out of context or that the video was highly edited, let me ask my viewers this question. How many jump cuts did you see in that? Zero. You saw zero jump cuts. It wasn't edited. I say tonight we punish Planned Parenthood. It was just the clip in question where he talks about inciting violence on Planned Parenthood. When you put it in context, it's the same context. So <laughs> this blows my mind. Now, look, the question is, why am I talking about this idiot? Well, the reason is because he has 1.8 million followers. And this is an individual who is highly influential, who advocates for Christian Sharia law. He is the poster boy for right-wing evangelical fundamentalism. So his words, unfortunately for the human race, hold a lot of weight. This is insane. If this doesn't discredit him, then I have no hope for humanity because all of his followers are supposedly pro-life Christians, yet they're okay with someone who advocates killing. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's completely immoral. And this dude should be completely ashamed of himself. So I don't usually like to talk about celebrity news, but because this one has political implications, I thought that it was necessary for me to discuss it, particularly because I like to discuss issues related to the LGBT community. Now, Caitlyn Jenner is someone who I was very excited about. So when Bruce Jenner came out and revealed that uh, she's transgender, well, I thought that this was great because this is an individual who is extremely wealthy. This, per this person has the resources to potentially really make an impact and speak out on behalf of the transgender community. But slowly but surely, Caitlyn Jenner keeps speaking and she's proving why she's not a great voice for the transgender community. Now, Caitlyn Jenner, as you all know, she's not just someone who's transgender. She's a very vocal transgender activist, as she should be. I admire that about her. But she admitted that she's going to be voting for a Republican in the 2016 race. A Republican. Let me, let me put this all in perspective, so I'm going to rephrase it. Transgender activists voting Republican. Transgender, Republican. Activists, Republican. Those are mutually exclusive categories. Like, if you're a transgender activist, you don't vote Republican. You run away from them. So, the fact that she is voting Republican... I don't understand how you rationalize that. So she says, after tuning into the second Democratic debate, she said, quote, they didn't convince me and stated that she still intends to vote for a Republican. So Caitlin, I'm not sure if you got the memo, but the Republican Party doesn't like you. They don't like the community that you're fighting for. Your community, the transgender community, or at large, the LGBT community. They don't like you. So by voting for them, you are harming the community you are fighting to help. So your own actions are at odds with each other. It doesn't make sense. The goal of the Republicans is to further marginalize and fearmonger over the community that you're fighting for. It doesn't make any sense, man. It really doesn't make sense. Yet you're still going to vote for them. They've spoken out against transgender rights. They still aren't even keen to the idea of gay rights in 2015. What do you expect? Do you think that you can convince them? to just all of a sudden support transgender rights? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, if you think that, you're naive. Now, you may have lived most of your life as a rich white man, 
but you'd think that the fact that you are a transgender individual, one of the most marginalized groups of people in our society, well, you'd think that would reorient you and make you more sensitive to the needs of your own community. But to vote Republican means you would hurt your own community. Now, the reason why I say this is because the Republicans are against policies that help the transgender community. First and foremost, there's a huge, significant portion of the transgender population that are homeless, particularly uh, transgender women of color or transgender men of color. They are severely marginalized. The Republicans want to make it more difficult for those types of individuals to become eligible. They want to say, well, look, if you're in school, if you don't have kids, it's going to be really difficult for you to get welfare benefits. They like doing these kinds of things. They don't necessarily target the transgender community as much as they used to, but their policies indirectly impact the community in a very significant way, and their policies are detrimental to the rights of transgender people. So my hope that, uh, Caitlyn Jenner would be the Ellen DeGeneres of the transgender community. Is It's just fully dashed. She crushed it with this. You can't support a party that is unequivocally against your rights. It just doesn't make sense. It's, it's dim-witted. So the fact that you're voting Republican, you can't call yourself a transgender activist. You can do what you can to help them, but just know that by voting for that party, you're also hurting them. You are so dumb. You are really dumb. For real. So we don't know all of the details with the San Bernardino terrorist attack yet, but I just wanted to take a minute and just kind of reflect on the craziness of our country. Just last week, we had a uh, Christian terrorist attack, and a week later, we have now what appears to be, I mean, we don't have definite details yet, but it looks as though it's an Islamic terrorist attack. We don't know if ISIS is taking responsibility for it. We don't know many of the details yet, and hopefully by the time this video gets posted on YouTube, we'll know more. But at this point, just know that the context within which I'm speaking, it's one in which we don't have a lot of details. But I just wanted to come at this from a humanist perspective, because I think that humanism gets lost in the mix. We always kind of, individuals are just very myopic. We tend to focus on our own lives but we don't really think about the broader consequences of our actions. We don't think about, you know, how other people react and how things impact them. So I just wanted to talk about this from a humanist perspective. And as a humanist, as a very staunch humanist, wherein uh, humanism basically drives my opinion on everything, I think that this is unthinkable. And anytime these types of shootings happen, even though more and more we all, myself included, kind of become desensitized to it where it's not as shocking, it's still insane when you step back and really think about this. The problem is that we just have everyone. Now, I'm not just talking about, you know, crazy people. I'm talking about most people in general. We have a fundamental misunderstanding of how we should value life. We don't value this life. There's so many evangelical Christians that are waiting for the apocalypse because they want Jesus to come back. I had someone on my friends list who uh, stated that he can't wait until Jesus comes back. Well, doesn't everyone die when Jesus comes back? Don't all the atheists and the Muslims and the Catholics and everyone else who's not a Christian go to hell? I mean, isn't, isn't that what happens? So basically, we're a culture of not really caring about this life. We're a culture of not valuing this life. If we were, we would try to reduce gun violence. We would pass universal healthcare legislation, we would try to end poverty, try to end mass famine, try to end homelessness, homelessness, not just in the United States, but everywhere else. Because, I mean, someone who is uh, starving 
in a third world country is just as human as I am. Their experience is going to be the same in terms of just typical needs and desires. People say, I'm poor in this life. Hopefully I'll have a mansion and be a millionaire in the next life. But the fact of the matter is that there's no evidence that there's going to be a second life. This might be our only shot at existence at all. And it's just a, it's just a little fraction of time in the history of the universe. It's, it's so tiny. It's infinitesimal. Just our existence. We're here and then we're gone. Time flies. So I don't get why people emphasize how much better their next life will be as opposed to just trying to make life better for this life. I think that's basically the crux of humanism. We want to do everything we can to make life as amazing as possible because this could be the only life we have. So when you switch that focus and you stop thinking about the afterlife and religion and you focus on reality, empirical reality, which is this life, well, it becomes that much more valuable because you don't know if you're going to have any other chances. This could be the last chance you ever get to exist. So every time we see someone who's homeless, anyone, anytime someone dies, anytime someone is suffering, we should be impacted by that. We should want to act. We should want to stop that. But we're apathetic. We don't care. Well, you know, that person's homeless, but they're going to be blessed in heaven. Look, we're living in the now. We need to live more in the moment. So what we need to do is we need to make sure that everyone in this life is living as happy a life as they can possibly be. That means we need equal opportunity. This means that we need healthcare. I mean, you have the right to just live, but you can't do that if you don't have basic access to healthcare. And there's still a significant portion of the population that doesn't have access to healthcare. This means that we shouldn't allow people on the terrorist watch list to buy guns. Because between 2013 and 2014, 91% of all terrorist suspects who applied for a gun, well, they were legally allowed to purchase that. 91% of them, that is. So within that time frame, 455 individuals on the terrorist suspect list, how crazy is this? They're not allowed to fly on a plane, but they were allowed to buy a gun. Okay, we got to stop this, guys. We got to stop being crazy. We can't let money rule us. We can't let the false hope of an afterlife drive us. We can't just say, look, I don't care about that homeless person. I don't care about these children who have medical problems. Or you can also say, well, I care, but you know, God's going to bless them. He'll, he'll look after them and whatnot. No, 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 no. We have to put the value on this life. I think that that is extremely important. So I don't understand how the human race can't just come together and try to work out these problems as a human race. Instead, we create these imaginary borders in our minds and we say, no, I hate them. I want them to stay over there. We will draw up these uh, social constructs such as race because we're all a member of the human race. Now, I'm not saying that downplay racial realities and the inequalities that exist, but I'm just saying that we're all human beings. I mean, when it comes down to it, we all have the same aspirations. We all have the same hopes and dreams to just be happy. But the fact that we're so myopic and we don't care about that, we just are focused on ourselves and are not helping each other, the fact that we're not living the philosophy of wit, that is, we're in this together, it's just puzzling to me. And uh, I think that if more people adopted this humanist orientation, I don't care if you are a Christian humanist, a Muslim humanist, whatever you are, if you adopted the humanist orientation, that's great because then it really stresses the quality of this life. I don't care if you're religious. I mean, I'm an anti-theist because I think there are a lot of problems with religion. But I mean, if you are 
a, a religious person and you have your priorities in order and you think that, well, I'm not going to just dismiss someone's suffering because I think that they'll have a better life in the next life or in heaven. Well, if you can at least say, look, no, I'm a humanist, but I believe in helping people on this earth, then I think you're on the right track. So basically, if everyone adopted a humanist approach to the world, then we're at least on the right track. We could start coming up with solutions. But these types of shootings are just mind-blowing to me. Uh, it, it's deplorable. It's unthinkable. And the fact that there are people who are willing to do this, the fact that more than one and a half shootings occur on average per day in the U.S. in 2015, it's, it's absolutely insane. Well, that's the episode. I want to thank all of my subscribers for tuning in. I want to welcome all of my new subscribers as usual. Uh, and also, I want to apologize because I haven't been very present lately. So some of these topics that I discussed are relatively old in the uh, current political context. Uh, so I apologize if you have attempted to move on from them. But there were things that I really wanted to talk about. And I haven't been filming uh, episodes as consistently lately because I am currently at the end of the quarter in school. Uh, I'm pushing through finals week as we speak. Uh, so it is very, very, uh, it's, it's been difficult for me, uh, to actually come out and film. So, but I wanted to film. There was so much stuff that I had to talk about, uh, that I, I, I had to make time to do it. So I apologize if some of this is old or if other networks have covered it, such as the Young Turks. I know you guys, um, would probably don't want to see the same thing over and over if you already subscribed to them, but, um, I just had to cover it because I wanted to talk about it. So thank you all for tuning in. I'll see you guys next week. So I've got a throwback clip from you guys uh, from 2010 when Cenk Uyghur of the Young Turks was still working on MSNBC. Now in the video, he was interviewing Congressman Bob McEwen uh, and called him out for wanting to cut Social Security and raise the retirement age. Now what you're about to see is what real journalism looks like. Joining me now is former Republican Congressman from Ohio, Bob McEwen. He and I have a bit of a difference of opinion, I suspect, here. Congressman, first of all, let's agree on the facts. $2.5 trillion surplus for Social Security, right? Well, you just said that they've already spent it, and so therefore either it has been spent and there's nothing there, or the money is sitting there and it's a surplus. We have to decide on one or the other. The yes, fact is that the money's that. gone. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. If we have a debt to China or we have a debt to Saudi Arabia, we have to pay it. Otherwise, the bond market will flip out. They'll say, what are you doing? America's faith and credit has to be met. Now, if we have a debt to the American people, which we do under Social Security, and you want to bilk them on that, well, that also involves our faith and credit. That's not right. And you guys spend it on your tax cuts for the rich and for your senseless, ridiculous wars. How about we get our money back? Well, either the money is spent or it's there as a surplus. One so or the other, make you up your it. mind. The fact is that it's gone. The fact is that it was in Treasury bonds and it's been consumed and spent, and there is no Treasury. And this year, the, the abutment that people said for years we would hit has come, and that is we are spending more money this year than it's taking in. Everyone knew it was coming. For 30 years, people predicted it. A day is now upon us. No, so we have the options. No, Congressman, that is a... Uh, a blip in the radar because of the recession. Every economist agrees oh. that it will pay 100% oh. until oh. 2037. Are you disagreeing with all those numbers? Yes, yes. Of course uh, you there, are, there's no one spent if, their if, money. If, so if you're you not going to give it back to the American people, are you? They put you it in every year, every single year, that comes out of our paycheck. We put it in, and you're saying we were suckers, that you just took the money and you gave it in tax cuts to the rich, and you're just not going to give it back. Is that what you're saying? 
No, not even, not even close. What I'm doing it's is so quoting the, like. the Social Security report on, on August 11th that said that it is two and a half trillion in, in the shortfall, as you just mentioned. Surplus. And as Bill Clinton said, Bill Clinton said, how do you keep that from happening? The demographics, you know, if you just stop and think a bit, the, the date of 65 years of age was chosen by Bismarck in the 19th century. 38 years later, when Social Security was established, they took that same date. Of course, we're living 20 years longer than that. And so there is a demographic problem that everybody knew was coming, everybody knows is here, and you can pay, play politics all you want. I was an intern for my predecessor when, in the 1970s, and you can go to the parking lot of the House and the Senate today and see the same bumper sticker that I saw when I was a kid, and it said, vote Democrat, save Social Security. In but other words, they've been riding this thing for 30 years. We knew this day would come. It's now here. There's no alternative. I love the irony of what you just said. Congressman, you just told them you're going to cut their Social Security. You just told them I'm not going to pay you back. You just told them you're going to raise the retirement age. You said 65 is too young. Now you're saying the Democrats are demagoguing it? No, you they're telling the simply. truth. You just said it. You, you wouldn't have had to repeat it if I had said that because you know that I didn't. Wait, did you just is, say to raise the retirement age? Did I just not quote Bill Clinton, who said you do three things? Okay, but you're Number saying, one. no, no, put aside Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton's not here. I want to know what you think. Should we raise the retirement age? We have a Chinese menu of options. One of them, as Bill Clinton said, is that you can no, control no, 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 benefits. No, 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 stick what with me here. No, 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 you can listen. You do can you listen. Do you want I'm not... to raise the retirement age? Do you I want said to raise it, yes or no? I said there's a series of options, and we're not going to take anything off the table if you're smart. In other words, yes. Of well, course. You, you that's tell for, me you're not going to cut your Social political Security. Argument. As a Republican, you say you're not going to cut Social Security. Can I get your word on that? That once, if the Deficit it. Commission says we're going to cut Social Security or raise the retirement age, that you're Congressman McEwen, you're going to come back on and say, I'm against this commission. They should never do that. The American and people Pink, put their hard-earned money into that. I'm okay, not going to rob that's them. That's a cute political that? attack. That's a cute political attack. You tell me what to do when you're running short of money. What are your options? Let's yeah, hear I'll tell you exactly tell what you do. You know what tell you me. do? There are a hundred other things to cut. Let's For hear example, it. Name one. billions in defense contracts are waste. Waste in defense. Here's one. How about we didn't go into that dumbass war in Iraq and waste a trillion dollars when we found zero weapons of mass destruction? You flushed that We're down the social toilet, security, and now not you're your talking politics. about robbing people's social security. That is outrageous. No, not your contempt for America. We're talking about social security. Contempt Stick to the for topic. America? What are you going to do about social security? You lost lives in Iraq. You have a you shortfall. Have contempt for America. You have a shortfall in the Social Security. Focus. What would you do about that? I'm telling you, you how I would balance the budget, because unlike Republicans, I'm not full of it. I'm telling you, I would raise taxes for the rich. Remember when Reagan taxes. cut taxes? Fine. When Reagan Fine. cut taxes, yeah, it, it was still at 50 percent, exactly and right. our economy okay, did gotcha. well. When we were in our golden age in America, the taxes were between 70 and 90 percent. I'm not saying we go there, but that was where we built the middle class. That's an option. Here's another option. Yeah. Stop wasting so much money that's just getting right into the defense contractors' pockets. We send more more on defense okay. than the rest you're, of the you're, world. You're content for, that you're content for those who defend Your our country. Your solution is to rob Social Security. Uh, your, your contempt for those who defend our country is, is focused. Oh, I understand that. Ridiculous. But I don't want but, their but, lives what? lost. I don't want them being wasted so your defense contractor buddies can make more money. Let's talk about Social Security. Social Security I is a problem. I already talked it, about it. You already told me you're going to cut it. 
No, I didn't. I said that there's a, a series Chinese of options. Menu of options. There are. I know, and you love That's everyone. Exactly right. That's right. And they, and you're, you want to use it for a political issue rather than be an adult. God, <laughs> right. be an adult. Rob someday you're going to have a child, right. and when a child's running short of money, yeah, then your options. McEwen, you are very adult. The way you're going to rob those folks is very adult-like. Sure. All well, right, thank you a, for joining us. That was perceptive. Thank you. Uh, yes, absolutely. You heard it for yourself here. Anybody can judge it. Now, what's great is that Bob McEwen started out very dismissive of pretty much anything that Jenk had to say. Uh, but as he went on, I don't know if you heard it, but by the end of it, his voice was actually trembling because Jenk had him so worked up. And that was absolutely great to see because you never see politicians challenged to this extent. This is really what real journalism looks like. Now, what people fail to realize is that the media are an institution that is supposed to be a check on government corruption. It's supposed to be a check on government tyranny. But currently, uh, the current corporate media establishment is in bed with the political establishment, which is why you don't see this type of real journalism from political pundits. So when a politician does something that really undermines the American people, when he or she is very corrupt, it's the job of the media to call them out. When you think hypothetically uh, what our country would look like if we actually had a competent media that wasn't in bed with corporate interests, that actually did their job and called politicians out and was a real check on government authority, there would actually be real, I think, uh, accountability if this was the case. But the fact is that the media doesn't care that Sheldon Adelson, uh, the Koch brothers, Warren Buffett, uh, politicians are being bought by billionaires on both sides. They're being bought by corporations on both sides. And if we actually had a media that was competent that called them out, then our country would look a lot different. So I really wanted to share this clip because I really just cherish it so much because it's such a perfect example of everything that the media should be. Uh, and Cenk Uger is the best, the best journalist. Uh, his reign on MSNBC uh, is legendary. And I really wish that he uh, would actually be able to be part of the mainstream media, but the fact is that will never be the case uh, because he actually does his job and they don't want people who do that.